0: At the moment, three quarters of evangelicals have a favorable view of the president, compared with just 42% of Americans overall. So it's no surprise that six days before Christmas, a Christianity Today editorial entitled, Trump Should Be Removed From Office, was viewed by many as a direct shot across the bow, by the president, as you may have heard about in the mainstream media, and by many evangelicals. But what was underneath all that? Today we host the author of that editorial. Christianity Today's Mark Galley, and another journalist, Nat Nasworth, who's been writing about politics at a different evangelical outlet. Just how big is Christianity Today's reach in the evangelical world? A few data points may help. Since its founding in 1956 by the late Billy Graham, CT has published a monthly print magazine, which today reaches just over 135,000 paid subscribers. But its online articles get north of three million monthly page views. magazine's budget is just over $11 million and has 60 staff writers. In founding CT, 64 years ago, Billy Graham hoped the magazine would serve not only Christian pastors and seminary faculty, but also a wide array of curious evangelical lay readers committed to careful thinking about the challenges of this world and serving their neighbors in all that complexity. Concerned for the world and the here and now set evangelicals apart from what the eminent historian and religion scholar George Marsden describes as fundamentalists, or those Christians who, especially in the early 20th century, more focused on the afterlife, on hard doctrinal purity, on a biblical account of creation against science, on a posture of us versus them. You might recall William Jennings Bryan, the Scopes trial, and dispensational beliefs more focused on the importance of the other world than improving the world around us. And if there are today over 80 million evangelicals in America, Mark's CT editorial and its reception in the broader culture helps us realize this tension between the more this-worldly-minded evangelical and other-worldly-minded fundamentalist still very much exists in Protestant American Christianity. Last century's history is still with us. But another dynamic is also at work. As a friend of ours, Sky Jathani likes to say, Christianity Today exists more for evangelicals who read Christian books than for evangelicals who watch Christian television. A growing elite versus mainstream divide alongside the populism that helped elect Donald Trump certainly affects today's American evangelicals. And we get into that some in today's conversation with the editor who penned CT's editorial, Mark Galley, on staff at Christianity Today for more than 30 years. Alongside Mark, Nat Nasworth tells his story Just days after the CT piece, and after eight and a half years as the Christian Post politics writer and then politics editor, Knapp quit his job when that evangelical outlet decided to go all in on joining Team Trump, as Knapp puts it. Unlike CT, the Christian Post is an online only publication founded in 2004 with nine writers today. Yet between its U.S. and overseas audience, it gets nearly 10 million monthly page views. Both Knapp's and Mark's recent experiences as journalists of evangelical faith and the way their writing was received, both by the mainstream media and by their fellow evangelicals, tell us something about the state of American religion and culture in the present moment. If you'd like to go deeper, we've linked in the show notes to Mark's December 19th editorial, to President Trump's December 20th tweet, which Mark heard in real time during a CNN interview, blasting CT as quote, a far left magazine, which would rather have a radical left non-believer who wants to take your religion and your guns than Donald Trump as your president, to CT's president and CEO, Tim Dowrimple's December 22nd piece, backing Mark's editorial and clarifying CT's larger ministry goals in the culture, to Knapp's December 23rd Twitter announcement about his decision to walk away from CP, and to the Christian Post December 23rd editorial, citing a letter signed by more than 200 evangelical pastors Defending the president against CT's editorial. And with that, we turn to two firsthand accounts from Mark Galley, formerly of CT, and from Nap Nasworth, formerly of CP. We hope that despite the dust up and the drawing of some new lines, this can be a clarifying moment. Enjoy the conversation. Well, hi, gentlemen. Thanks, Mark Galley and Nat Masworth for being with us. I know you've each been to Faith Angle in the past. Is that right? Yes, many times.
1: A couple of times, a little hurt that I haven't been invited more often, but there you go. Well,
0: getting, <laughs> getting on a podcast is the first I key step. don't think I've
1: had a chance to meet Nate,
0: but if I have, I'm, I apologize for not remembering. Yes, yes, yes. Well, hopefully something we can correct in the near future. So maybe you guys could each just start by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are. Obviously, Mark Galley of Christianity Today, editor-in-chief there for a number of years, a long history of writing there even prior to that, had a piece that was noticed at least on the Eastern Seaboard and all around the country, December 19th, that has reverberated a good bit. But Mark, tell us about your time at CT, what you're doing as a a journalist, and where you are in life.
1: Yeah, I started working for the the ministry about 30 years ago when I was asked to interview for a job for Leadership Journal, which was their pastoral magazine. That has since gone defunct. From there, I moved to uh, Christian History Magazine, and then for the last 20 years, I I was with Christianity Today, first as managing editor, and then the last seven years as editor-in-chief.
0: Matt, how about you? Well, the
2: past eight and a half years, I was working for the Christian Post. Before that, I was a political science professor. I finished my PhD at University of Florida in 2006, and my dissertation was on the Christian right.
0: Uh, specializing
2: in religion. Ah, ah,
0: and Nap, you started as a journalist writing and eventually became part of the editorial board staff?
2: Right. They first hired me just as a reporter. I was took the position as something I could just do working from home because we had small kids at the time, not in school yet. But eventually just continued with them and rose up in the ranks and became an editor.
0: Very good. Well, just before the Christmas holiday, a story unfolded that Mark authored that Knapp then weighed in on and got involved with as well. And there's a tale to tell here. Mark, what led to the publication of your piece, Trump Should Be Removed from Office at Christianity Today, published the 19th of December? And tell us a little bit about what the receipt of that has, has looked like.
1: So uh, those are two different questions. You want them both, Please. both the process and the receipt? Please. Okay. Well, the process was actually was most people know it was my last month as editor in chief, and I was actually hoping I wouldn't have to write a controversial editorial before I left because I'm still a pastor at heart. I was a pastor for ten years, and you know, I I want to love everybody, and I want everyone to love me. But but as the uh, impeachment hearings unfolded, I started to think maybe we need to weigh in on this. Uh, we did, in fact, weigh in on Nixon's impeachment. We did, in fact, weigh in on Clinton's impeachment. So on Thursday morning. I asked my uh, editorial director, you think we should comment on the impeachment hearings? He said, yeah. So I had about an hour before my next meeting, and I sat down to start to write a what well, is a typical Mark Galley editorial on the one hand. On the other, let's listen charitably to other points of view. Let's wait for the process to work itself out, which is something I've been preaching in, in a sense in all my editorials ever since the 2016 election cycle. But when I started to write that editorial, I just felt a Rubicon had been crossed and I couldn't write that anymore in, in good faith and in good honesty. And what came out was what came out in the, in the editorial. I felt it was time for us to, we'd, we'd done a really good job as a magazine trying to listen to our very conservative Trump supporters and we had been patiently hearing about the criticism that they were so concerned about moral character in a previous administration. And now they were saying nothing about it and I just decided it was time to stop patiently listening to that and speak into it. So that was kind of the process. I was expecting the article to go somewhat viral in our world, which were a viral article in our world and you know, for Christianity today is 3000 to 5000 people visiting our site at any given moment, which is about 10 times as high as they normally do. And so for an article to get that many is like, we just were thrilled when it does. Well, this one not only crashed the site, it sent between 15,000 and 17,000 people to our site for hours on end. So I wish I could say I was pressured and I saw that this needed to be said and America would respond. And I had no idea that there was this going to be this deeply felt and argued about. So that that's the initial reaction. It's just the volume.
0: And there um, were what, three million
1: page views that I read? A million pages like what's with that? Yeah, that's amazing to me. So as you can imagine, a lot of negative feedback is a nice way of putting it, you know, and so especially as it comes, the email came into the ministry. It was decidedly negative, but I will say what kept me buoyed uh, during this time was that my personal email was easily eight, eight or nine to one in favor. That encouraged me a great deal. And I could talk about more about the quality of that agreement because I think it, it's, it says something significant about where we are as evangelicals and actually where we are as a nation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And while we would love to have you literally read, you know, six or seven paragraphs from that editorial, just to give our, our listeners a, a lens into what it says, you, you reference the Clinton era and some commonalities, and you say a little bit about how CT doesn't typically take political stances. You do have a little bit of that old Mark Alley on the one hand, on the other hand, but but what do you say? I
1: have a couple arguments on the way to the conclusion, which was really from a Christianity Today perspective, the most important thing I had to say. So I had to say that, yes, we have been doing our our level best to try to understand our uh, more conservative brothers and sisters of the faith, and I gave some examples of that. But along the way, I also had to say that it's not a surprise to anyone who's been reading us that we've questioned the the character of our current president, often in our pages, not in a major editorial that, that says it, but it, and comments along the way. We've made it clear that's we're not very happy with the moral character of our president. And that it has been our history to weigh in every once in a while on issues that have political overtones. And we did weigh in on the Nixon impeachment. We weighed in on the Clinton impeachment. But that was along the way to get into the conclusion, which really was asking my brothers and sisters in Christ to think more deeply about their loyalty to Donald Trump and their seeming ignoring or justifying his immoral behavior at many different levels. And saying, basically asking, how can a unbelieving world take us seriously when we say abortion is a great evil? And we seem to be ignoring the immoral actions and words of our president and doing so just because it's politically expedient. And I basically concluded by saying, this is a deal that's gonna come crashing down on us eventually. It's harmed the reputation of evangelicals. It's harmed the reputation of the gospel, in my view. And I think it's going to do damage to the people we're called to love as our neighbors, that is to say, fellow American citizens. And, and it on a rather dramatic and rhetorical note, but, you know, that's, that's something a writer likes to do. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just several days later, and I know we want to get to NAP on sort of what happened sort of meanwhile back at the ranch, but your colleague Tim Downpour wrote a piece several days later, the 22nd, talking about, quote, the flag and the whirlwind, the idea that there should be this sort of openness to firm opinion on the one hand and to free discussion on the other. And letting that whirlwind come and being okay with that, describing your publication Mark as theologically conservative and pro-life and pro-family and pro-religious liberties and economic opportunity and a really global ministry, not just the United States, and sort of bringing all of that to bear in this larger conversation, which was noticed by a few people. And then so you appeared on Face the Nation uh, on a Sunday morning talk show. You appeared on CNN and had the president's tweet read directly to you in real time. I think, if I recall, uh, had uh-huh. the sort of public receipt go from your angle?
1: Well, of course, I was only interviewed online by outlets that were fairly sympathetic to what I said. Later, as I was going through emails, I missed because I got hundreds of emails that day, Thursday afternoon and Friday. I did notice that Fox News had reached out to me and wanted to interview me, and I just didn't see it, frankly, didn't see it. So most of the interviews I had were by people who were even though they were trying to be objective reporters, I knew based on their history in journalism, like MSNBC, that they were sympathetic to what I had to say. So those interviews went well. And when I was in those, because I knew who I was speaking to, I wanted to make sure they understood you know, this is not an animus against Trump. I don't hate Trump. I would imagine he'd be an entertaining dinner client to have, you know, dinner person to have. And I wasn't judging his moral character as a human being, meaning what goes on in the soul of a person, that's none of my business. I'm only judging his outward character as it displays itself as he carries out the, his office. And I wasn't particularly saying that I think conservative evangelicals are stupid and they should be written off. I was speaking to them in love as a brother and sister in Christ and hoping to start a conversation about this sort of thing. And it, so, cause I think it's important in those type of outlets that you uh, not just become an instrument of their kind of agenda, <laughs> But that in some level, you try to broaden their understanding of who we are as a movement and what, what motivates us.
0: Mm-hmm. Pretty high pressure moment there, especially right in the midst of the holidays. But did you discern any surprises there by those who interviewed you or came to better understand what evangelicals or evangelicalism or CT is all about?
1: Well, I, I think they were surprised that I, did, I didn't bite on bait that they were trying to um, get me to bite on. For example, at, at the end of one interview, one host asked me, read Franklin Graham's tweets to me, about me. And he said, what do you have to say to Mr. Graham? And I said, well, I disagree. <laughs> you could tell he was visibly deflated that I wasn't gonna do that sort of thing. So if they were looking for a chance to just raise the, con- the, the controversy unnecessarily, I wasn't I wasn't gonna do that. I think in terms of the response that was most, the response that was has continued to help me, make me think and ponder about what I should do next and what I would encourage Christianity today to do next is two things. One is there was a profound agreement. It wasn't just, Mark, thanks for writing this. Really appreciate it. It was, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Ten exclamation points. You've said something I've been feeling and I didn't feel like anyone was saying it, which isn't true, but that's what they felt like. I felt so alone. I felt no one was agreeing with me about this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then among those people that said thank you were a number of people who said, hey, I'm an atheist. I'm a Jew. I'm an agnostic Jew. I had left the faith a long time ago. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It raises my my respect for evangelicalism up quite a bit. And again, I didn't imagine I was speaking to those people or that those people would even care what I had to say. But it did signal to me that we evangelical leaders in whatever capacity they are, whether they're at the Post or the Christianity Today or at InterVarsity, people look to us, even if they don't believe what we believe, they look to us at some level for moral leadership. They may not agree with what our moral stance is, but they really want us to be consistent and to have integrity. And they felt like the evangelical right was not doing that, and it made them anything from sad to frustrated to angry and uh, it made me realize we have a public responsibility in this regard as well
0: Hmm. So if, if Christianity Today then is perhaps a little bit larger publication in terms of budget or size and staff size than the Christian Post, and maybe Nap, you can fill us in on that a little bit, in a way, maybe I suppose you guys had slightly different experiences. One, uh, a publication that said, that we're going to back that point of view told from from where you're coming from after all these years of writing for us, and even as an editorial, in Mark's case at CT, and in Nap's case at Christian Post, in a way the opposite. You have been on staff for some time, had been part of signing off on editorials uh, along the way, and then this time around, something had changed. So so what happened at Christian Post uh, in late December in your story, NAP?
2: So this was the Monday before Christmas, the Monday after Mark's editorial, and I was the only editor that day. I was getting close to logging off and then going on vacation for two weeks, and so then I was contacted with information that this op-ed from Richard Land and John Grano, was. Uh, I needed to publish it. Now, those guys are both
0: was, on, your, on your board or playing a role at CP as, as a, a advisors?
2: They are both editors, but mostly an advisory role. They're, they're not full-time staff. So Richard Land, his role has always been mostly as an advisory role. And same with John Grano. He's basically retired, but just does, helps us out sort of part-time. Help the Christian post out. So they wrote it, but it's my understanding that they were asked to write it by the CEO and Michelle Vu, who I, I'm not sure what her title is now, it used to be managing editor, that may, might still be the case. But I was sent this op-ed and I was fine with publishing it, even though I disagreed with it because I publish op-eds, I disagree with all the time, that's not really a big deal for me. But then it was told we want to publish it as an editorial. And I was like, wait a second, this this can't be an editorial because the editors don't agree on it. How can you call it an editorial? That has not been our process in the past as far as publishing editorials. We haven't published that many. The first time we published an editorial was in 2016. And the title of that editorial was Donald Trump is a scam. Evangelical voters should back away. That was the first time we ever took a position on a political candidate and the first time we wrote an editorial. And the process with that one and everyone since then had been that all the editors would talk about it together and we would work on it together. One person would write the first draft and then we would all edit it and rewrite and come up with a final draft that we could all agree to. So that, that was the usual process. And But this was simply, here it is, you publish it, we're going to call it an editorial. And I said, no. No, I, I can't publish it as an editorial. And so it just became one of those things where they, you know, we couldn't reach a compromise. I felt like they sort of anticipated that I would disagree with it. And so that's why I was not involved, probably why I was not involved in the process to begin with, as far as writing it, that they didn't consult me or anything. And basically it was put to me like, we're not going to fire you, but if you disagree with it, then you, this would be your choice. You, you, you might have to leave. Right. So I just felt like, well, and really the final straw was when I said, if you publish this, you are announcing to the world that you're joining team Trump. And they said, yes, that's what we want to do. And hmm. so that, that became the final straw. I was like, well, I can't work for an organization that takes that position. So that's why I left.
0: Hmm. And just remind our listeners, Nap, of The Contours. Again, you'd been there eight and a half years? Uh, eight and a half years, yeah. yes. And so long history, but yet you were working remotely in Austin. The publication's based in New York or D.C.? D- D.C. now? D.C. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. their, their
2: office's in D.C. Uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: And had you also sensed a growing divide for some time? I mean, it's been four years since you guys published that first editorial against Trump.
2: Yeah, so we all agreed during the primaries before he became the nominee when we wrote Donald Trump as a scam. After he became the nominee, we disagreed on how evangelicals should vote. And so we let that disagreement inform our editorial position. And so we wrote an editorial that was reflective of what a difficult choice evangelicals faced, which I think is how a lot of evangelicals felt at the time. It's, do you support... Trump as an anti-Hillary vote or not, or do you vote for third party or independent or write-in or something like that? So that, that disagreement, that tension that I think a lot of the evangelicals were feeling during the 2016 election, we let that tension sort of come through in our editorial at the time. And I thought it was a good editorial that we wrote ahead of the 2016 election, just talking about what a difficult choice evangelicals faced. I think since the election, I did feel like Well, there's two different things going on. I think some editors sort of became more pro-Trump over time, but not like strong, really sort of red hat, MAGA wearing, you know, Trump people, nothing like that you could find anywhere in the Christian Post, editors, reporters, or anybody, right? But there, there did tend to be, I think, sort of a, among some editors, a more accepting of Trump and more willingness to defend him and not criticize him as much. So you had that going on. But then another situation that was happening is that our readers became very pro-Trump. And so whenever we would publish anything that was critical of Trump, we would get some very strong negative feedback. And I think some editors were more concerned about that than than I was and others were, but That was also a process that was going on that may have influenced the direction of that response to Mark. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So just taking us into the whirlwind a little bit more deeply there, then the piece Mark writes comes out, it gets a national splash, the president tweets about it directly, some FaceTime on a couple of big national shows. It's certainly noticed and some folks connected to Christian Post decide to write a letter with two hundred signatures from various evangelical leaders saying something different. Is that right? And that's part of what Richard Land talks about in the in the editorial that he that he wrote?
2: They weren't really connected to the Christian post except to the for the fact that we got the letter first or second. I I'm not sure when Christianity did they sure. got the letter,
0: but I see that's uh, totally, totally yeah. fair. We,
2: we yeah we wrote an article about it that Sunday morning where we published the letter and wrote an article about it. Mm-hmm.
0: And just to raise for our listeners again, you know, a couple of the themes from the piece that John Grano and, and Richard Land wrote in response, you know, they say, effectively, there's a critique of elitism. They say, um, there's been a groundswell of support amongst evangelicals for the president, I think the latest poll from NPR and PBS, News Aramaris poll in December says, technically 75% of white evangelicals say, if polled, you know, that they, are, that they are pro-Trump compared to 42% of the country. So it's higher in this community. And I think Richard Land and, and John draw out in their piece that there's a gap perceived in terms of elitist types at Christianity Today or evangelical elitists, or elites at the very least, who say uh, something that they say in the in the letter is similar to Obama talking about voters who cling to their guns and their Bibles, to Secretary of State Hillary Clinton talking about Trump supporters as deplorables, or Beto's comment, that sort of, they say a toxic emotional and spiritual stew in which the attitude animating Galley's editorial festered into life, some choice words, and they conclude you know, that CCT, Christianity Today's disdainful, dismissive, elitist posture toward their fellow Christians may well do far more long-term damage to American Christianity and its witness than any current prudential support for President Trump will ever cause. That's where they land, to give our listeners a sense as to where the, the other argument is coming from. We respond to that, they, if you would.
2: They also used the word unbiblical. Mm-hmm. They said Mark's position was unbiblical. And then earlier this week, Mark was on the radio with Richard Land, and Richard said that he was being duped by the deep state. Yeah.
1: It was kind of a sad argument to me because it showed a careful misreading of the essay from which they took my language about the elite. What's interesting about that essay, which appeared in a book, and I think parts of the uh, argument have appeared online when I've made some arguments, is to say, Especially this was written in 2016, right after when, when people in my world, that would be people, leaders in, among establishments, centrist, evangelical organizations, InterVarsity, World Vision, World Relief, Christianity Today, or whatever. We were all admittedly, and I said so, admittedly mystified what's going on with our brothers and sisters who voted for Trump. And I said, one of the problems of the fact is that we do represent a kind of elite. And I meant that in a very objective way. We are term. leaders of establishment institutions. And I use the word elite deliberately so that it would have overtones of, of elitism, meaning aren't we tempted by elitism to dismiss this part of our movement? In other words, I was making an argu- this, sort of the same argument that Richard Land was, but I was self-critiquing because I do think that's a danger in our movement and I do decry it. So for them to then turn around an argument that I was actually making to decry elitism, to use it as a support for his supposed notion that I am elitist and I'm looking down my noses, especially if you've read three and a half years of editorials that I've written about the topic in which I bend over backwards to try to understand my fellow evangelicals. It made me sadden to think of who's crafting this editorial and where where in are they getting spirit? their information yes. because I felt like there was so much more that they could have said that would have gotten to the heart of the issue rather than just uh, essentially they're accusing me and Christianity of being a snob and B we're out of touch with reality. Now that's not an argument. <laughs> that's just rhetorical flair. And it made me, it made me sad at the thinness of the argument. Here we have a person he who told me at least on the air that he had a PhD in something, which means, which means he, he supposedly has, I mean, he has had to have rigorous intellectual training, and for him to make that sort of argument ma- just made me feel like, how did we get to this point?
2: Yeah, I have to agree with Mark that the, it was poorly written, and there was some sloppy thinking in there. And I mean, for me, like I said, I was I was going to publish it, you know, as an op-ed. I was fine with that. It was just when they told me that, you know, we, we want the purpose of this is to distinguish is to put us on the side of Trump in this debate with CT. So, but the the whole thing about elitism. I mean, Richard Land is on the board of evangelicals in the White House.
0: How the is that President's Advisory Board. <laughs> yes, that previously. Yeah, Air the Leonardo. evangelical advisory yes, board. Right. That's
2: right. so. You're isn't that an elite? Right. What so? What's what's so bad about elite? You know, being an elite. So. Mm-hmm. It was just such a sloppy argument, I thought.
0: Sure. And if we're at a little bit of a populist moment in the country's unfolding in history, you know, if we go back to this conversation in 20 or 30 years' time and and sort of look back on this moment, that will be clarifying, I suspect. But you know, if populism and bubbles and accusations of elitism are, are in the mix here as part of this coming down on one side or the other or taking a position, I guess I'd be curious to ask, how would you guys say that as leaders, whether that's as a journalist or as a professor or a pastor or a politician, navigate that tension that does exist between, on the one hand, I suppose it's followers and and where you want to go. On another hand, it could be between people who have a point of view that does differ from you that you think is worth challenging and calling into action. What are what are your best pieces of advice for people in that space? You know, Doug Birdsall and Russell Moore and A.R. Bernard, Nancy French, Jeff Flake, many people come to mind. They're caught up in this whirlwind right now. What is your counsel on how to do that wisely?
2: Yeah, I think if you're if you're a a Christian leader, your concern shouldn't be whether you're an elitist or a populist. Your concern is just speaking the truth, you know? And let the chips fall where they may. If that means that you're ended up end up agreeing with elites on this issue and popular and popular opinion on another issue, so be it that I mean your responsibility isn't to sort of look at look at where people are heading and say okay there there's my people. let me go lead them. It's to speak the truth and to always have in your mind the gospel first and let that be first rather than concerns about. You know, am I a populist or you know whatever?
1: Yeah, I think we're on exactly the same page. I mean, some people have asked me, were you worried about losing subscriptions when you wrote this? And, you know, I'm the type of journalist or writer, maybe I'm naive, but I just never think about that. It never occurs to me to put that into the scales. Never. I can say that. Absolutely. It just doesn't. Other people, are you writing this just because you're leaving and you wanted to do one last slam dunk on, on people? honestly it never occurred to me what occurred to me was i was the editor-in-chief of christianity today on december 19th on december 19th the day after the impeachment hearings ct needed to speak out what it thought was the right and proper thing to say at that moment and that was the only thing that concerned me now the only way and i'm sure nap would agree the only thing you have to be sure of is you don't want to you don't want to make strong statements every day of the week or even every month, week of the month. You want to save them up. Otherwise, people stop listening to you. So there is a matter of timing that you have to be careful about and be wise and judicious about. But when it comes time to speak up, you just need to do it. You don't have to be mean-spirited. You don't have to denigrate other people's, those who disagree with you. You don't have to denigrate their character. But as best as you can is the wisdom that God gives you, you say what you think is the gospel truth, and you put it out there, and then you let people argue about it. And that's kind of the point of an editorial.
0: Very nice. I can remember my father years ago saying, you know, at the beginning of parenting that there was only one time when God swallowed somebody up into the ground. It's got to be rare. You play that card rarely if it's a, but you do play the card sometimes. Yeah. So at how has the bounce been for, for Christianity today? Do you know, Mark, you lost some subscriptions. I know it was cited in the post down 2,000 after a couple of days, up 5,000 for other people who, who chose to subscribe. Where, where yeah. are you?
1: As of a couple of weeks ago, you'd want to check with our marketing department; they know better. But as of a couple of weeks ago, it was it was down three thousand, but up uh, 9,000. So overall, it's been a, a positive move. When on a purely you know business level, we've also received a you know fair number of donations from people as a result of this. And then again, from surprising quarters, I was on a podcast yesterday of someone who he said, "I'm an atheist," <laughs> but when I read your editorial. I was so thrilled. I, I, I signed up for a three-year subscription to CT. <laughs> I don't know how long we'll be able to retain those subscribers once they read the rest of the magazine. But, but he was basically saying yeah, he's enthusiastically supportive. And so in the, in the short term, it's from a purely business point of view, it, it's, a, it's a good move. Uh, but I think Tim's move, Tim Dalrymple, the president's move to also remember, we not only plant flags, but we also offer a table to people to come to and debate and argue about these things and uh, i'm with i'm with nap before i was editor in chief i had to help edit editorials of the current editor in chief and once in a while i i disagreed with him but my job was to make his editorial as good as possible that's what the job was when we have people that write i remember we wrote we did something similar to the christian post in the last election we had an we had james dobson write on behalf why he's voting for trump and then we had someone write on behalf of why they're voting for Hillary, whose name, I, I'm sorry, I just don't remember. And then someone wrote why we should vote for a third-party candidate. Yes, yes. And I was responsible for editing Jim Dobson's piece. And my job in that particular case was to make it as good as possible and to make sure it was factually correct and it was as persuasive as he could make it. Yeah, that's what you do in journalism. Yes, yes. It's a it's not an easy tribute You tribute to do the plant flags And you do, make, you do welcome other points of view. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 And NAPSO, we are all living through institutions and Christian Post is in a unique spot right now. And, and, and so are you. We, we, we honor your, your moment for that. Do you continue to feel a, a call burden to, to journalism and to the field? Uh, is that your sort of instinct? What are you thinking about in terms of the moment and what comes next?
1: Yeah. Let me just interrupt before answers that because I do want to affirm many people wrote me applauding me for my courage, but I I, I honestly don't get it. I think the man who showed real courage is Nap, because you know, worst case scenario, you write a bad editorial an editorial and you get fired. Well, I was about to retire. There was nothing on the line for me in that regard. But for Nap to take the courage to make that step, I was just so impressed. So now you can wow. answer your question. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna take some time to think about it. I just got back from vacation. My kids went back to school yesterday and I still have some more interviews ahead. Still people interested in my story and, and so forth. So I need to, so I'm doing those and I'm just gonna take some time to think about my next step. Well, I still continuing to write, and find some places to publish and still want to tell. I think there's more stories to tell about my experience that I want to put in print. So that's my goal. I was already working with some folks. We're working on a edited book about making the spiritual case against Donald Trump. So that's gonna be sometime this year. Other than that, I'm talking to a bunch of people and looking at different options. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I wonder if you guys as veterans of Faith Angle Forum, people who we hope will certainly uh, come back in the future, have any advice for us. You know, I'd sent you over just before we we started talking last night about that Dean Bacay quote from New York Times about, you know, the disconnect that exists between many journalists and religion in the country. And if there are 80 or 85 million Amer- uh, evangelicals, as Mark's friends at Wheaton up the road say, in the country today, that's an easy community to misunderstand and not quite Get, and I suspect some of that's been brought to light these last couple of weeks. But do you have any advice for for faith angle and for that gap that does exist between journalism and religion, uh, not only evangelicals, but also Catholics and Jews and people of many other stripes? Yeah, I'd say uh, the
1: one thing that
0: journalists, secular journalists,
1: of course, the, the, the thing they're most interested in is politics. So they just tend to think of people of various religions in terms of their political stances. And somehow we have to help them see that even, even an ardent Trump supporter spends most of his, let's just say it's a man, he spends most of his day, well, he has to go to work. He's got to support his family. Then he goes to church and maybe he sits on the Christian Education Committee or the Missions Committee and maybe he helps serve at the local food closet. But these people just, they happen to have a political belief, but that isn't something necessarily that characterizes their entire life that they are really devoted to trying to follow Jesus and do what he says in their day-to-day life. I think they've made some serious judgments and error when it comes to their vocal support for Trump. But but these are very impressive people. We have a woman in my congregation, for example, who's really suspicious about Muslims immigrating to America. And yet, she has tea with a Muslim neighbor every week. And she's gone and visited the imam at the local mosque because she feels called to love her neighbor, even if she's has some questions about it. Or I know of another congregation we reported on in San Diego, in which most of the members are really against illegal immigration. But they've also opened a a ministry to immigrants, no matter how they got in, that helps feed and clothe them to make sure they're well taken care of when they're here. I mean, that's the type of contradictions or paradoxes that the secular media cannot fathom happen. Mm And I think it would fill out their understanding of who, especially evangelicals are on, at the
0: ground level. Hmm. That's very good. That's very good. I remember Mike Cromerty telling me maybe 19 or 20 years ago that he went to a meeting on the Hill and he was with Nancy Pelosi, actually, at the time, who was a, was a, a congresswoman. And she said, who is this James Dobson? You know, at the height of Jim Dobson's sort of career. And he said, you know, how is it possible that my secular progressive sister would, would not even know. I mean, Jim Dobson has so many people listening to him. You mentioned him earlier every single day. You know, so it's different worlds almost, different worlds.
2: Yeah, so one of my goals for 2020, I think, is to just make sure that secular journalists understand the fact that evangelicals are divided on Trump. And there is a large contingent of evangelicals who don't support Trump. I think one of the issues is that the evangelical Trump supporters have really good PR and they're really well organized, and so they they get their message out. If they're together. It's a consistent message, and reporters hear from them very quickly, very easily. The evangelicals who don't support Trump are kind of all over the place. They're not organized into one group, and they don't agree on if you don't support Trump, then what you do. Who do you support? It's a much more diverse group. And so reporters don't hear from them in the same sort of organized fashion that they hear from the evangelical Trump supporters. So it's just important that, you know, when they're writing about evangelicals to understand that dynamic and to understand who the evangelicals who don't support Trump are.
1: And that they have to do some old fashioned journalism footwork to find out who those people are, because like Knapp says, there's not an organized group to be against Trump. But they're all, they are all over the place, and, but it, it'll take a journalist taking the trouble to find out who those are so that they can contact them when they want comment. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we hope those of you who are listening to us will keep that curiosity burning strong, and perhaps if you're interested in a lead on a couple of people to track down and beat a trail with, Nap or Mark will be willing in the uh, spring months ahead to uh, give you a connection. Thanks, you guys, for the time today. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Faith Angle is committed to better, more accurate journalism, and it's a privilege to serve alongside those who, in mainstream publications or faith-based outlets, are pursuing the truth. Thanks for listening.